Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Marriage Matters. All right. Well, and don't, don't turn there. But in Genesis chapter 1, that chapter describes how God created the heavens and the earth and all the living creatures here on our planet. And as uh, you read through the chapter, you find something that continues to repeat itself. There's a certain phrase that uh, Moses used as he's writing the creation account, account. And the phrase is, and God saw that it was good. And so after the creation of light, it says in the Bible, and God saw that it was good. After the creation of the dry land, it says, and God saw that it was good. After the creation of plant life, whether it's large or, or small plants, vegetation, uh, it says, and God saw that it was good. The same thing with the creation of the stars and the heavenly bodies. It's the same phrase. And then the same phrase when it talks about God's creation of the birds and all the marine life, the sea creatures. And then the same phrase on the sixth day after God created all the, the land creatures, all the animals. It says, and God saw that it was good over and over and over again. And then when God was finished with creation, and by the way, uh, before he was finished with creation, on the sixth day, it says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When God was all done with his creation, it then says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, quote, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Okay? So, it was good, 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 it was good. Six times it has that phrase, and then when he's all done, this is very good. And then you go to Genesis chapter 2, and for the first time you see a phrase where it's not all that good. Let's see the phrase. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God says, it is, help me out, not good that the man should be alone, I will make a helper comparable to him. And so guys, unless God has called you to be single, as we will see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is single. That was the calling on Paul's life. Okay, so guys, unless God has called you to be single, the general principle is it's not good that you are alone because the fact remains that Every good man or almost every good man needs a good woman. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so how many of you husbands that are here today are really thankful for the good wife that God has given to you? Let me just wondering that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was about 80% of you husbands. Okay, so 20% who didn't clap and who didn't shout. Okay, I'm going to help you not sleep on the couch tonight, okay? So let me ask the question again. How many of you husbands are really happy for the good wife that God has given to you? Let her know that. Let her know that. Yeah. All right, you guys can sleep in your own beds. Because it was not good that the man should be alone. Adam should be alone. You remember what God did? 
He caused Adam to fall asleep into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, God performed some surgery on Adam. It said that he opened up his side. He, he took out part of his side. We assume it was a rib. We took out, he took out the rib. He closed up the side in the place there. And from the rib, God formed a woman. Praise God for that, right? So awesome. And then, in the first ever marriage ceremony, God the Father took Eve, the woman, and it says that he brought her to the man. I've said this before, but if you're single today, you don't have to frantically go on a search for your future spouse. If you will live for Jesus Christ and put him first, he will eventually bring you your spouse, right? And so God brought Eve to the man in that first ever marriage ceremony there in the Garden of Eden. And then it says in Genesis 2, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become, what's the next two words? It's the closest, most intimate, it's the best relationship that you will ever have outside of your relationship with Jesus. It should be with your spouse. It's called marriage. And it's absolutely vital for the, the health and the continuation of the human race. It's absolutely vital for, for little kids to be raised ideally. I know that this doesn't happen all the time, but ideally, uh, for kids to be raised in a home where both mom and dad are present and they both love and raise that kid in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the way God set it up. It's called marriage. And it's vital for husbands and wives who get the, the blessing of being able to do life with their soulmate. Marriage was God's idea. Therefore, marriage matters. Now, there's two uh, important questions that everybody's got to answer in their life. I believe the first most important question that a person has to answer in their life is this. Who will be the Lord of your life? That'll either make you or break you. My hope, my prayer is that if you are on the fence with this issue, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that you today will make Jesus the Lord of your life. He'll change everything, everything, because he's real. The second question, not as important, but still very important, is who will you choose to be your spouse for the rest of your life? That question will also make you or break you. And here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to find yourself with the wrong person for the rest of your life. I heard the story about a man who had a wife. She was a, a nag. She was miserable to be around. She had a mean spirit. And so one day they went on vacation to Jerusalem. And so they were there in Jerusalem and tragically, suddenly the wife died. And so the husband was in shock. He went to the local undertaker and he said to the undertaker, my wife has passed away. What can you guys do for me? And so the undertaker went to his superiors and they talked. The undertaker comes back to the husband and he says, okay, you have two options. Option number one, we will send, we will ship your wife's body back to the United States of America. That's going to cost you $5,000. Or I talked to my superiors 
We're so sorry for your loss, but we're going to make a deal with you. If you will just bury your wife here in the Holy Land, in Israel, it'll just be $100. That's it. The husband thought for a minute, and he looked at the undertaker, and he said, ship her back to the States. The undertaker said, with all due respect, why? Why would you spend $5,000 when it just costs 100 bucks to bury her here in the Holy Land? And the husband said to the undertaker, sir... A long time ago, a man died here, was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead here. I can't take that chance. Now, you have a choice. The second most important question you'll ever answer in your life, who will I marry? Now, let me just... Let me just encourage you for a second, okay? It's better to be married to the wrong one for a little time than the right one for a long time. So if you're single, make sure you get this right. Make sure you wait on the Lord. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And if you are single today, and right now you are dating a man or a woman who does not know Jesus Christ, who has not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, today's the day you've got to break that off. On the authority of God's word, God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I will save you decades of misery. Because when you have a mixed marriage, which we're going to see later on in 1 Corinthians 7, where one believer believes and loves Jesus and the other believer does not, there are issues, problems, heartache. And I spare you if you'll just listen. Better yet, share the gospel with that unsaved person. If they come to the Lord, praise God. Now, the Christians in Corinth, they had a lot of questions about marriage. So they wrote them down. They sent them to Paul. And Paul decides to answer those questions here in this portion of the letter that you have turned to. Now, this is not a comprehensive study on marriage. This is just the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, answering their marriage questions. But first, he has a word for singles. Look at verse 1. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now stop right there. Please look at me for a second. It says, don't touch the woman. <laughs> what does the word touch mean? Well, you got to understand that the word touch is simply a Jewish euphemism for sex. Now, maybe you grew up in the church. And maybe back in the day, you had a youth pastor that used... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, as God's standard for the dating relationship. But the problem was the youth pastor misinterpreted verse 1. Maybe your youth pastor said, okay, young people, look at, Paul says, um, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Therefore, when you start to date, you are not to hold hands. You are not to hug, not even side hugs. Later on, if you get serious with this person, you're not to kiss them at all. In fact, you can't even touch them. In fact, young ladies, when you're sitting on the couch with your boyfriend, you put a big, fat study Bible in between you. <laughs> if that guy leans over to kiss you, hey, look what I got in my devotions today. Let's read the Bible together. By the way, don't read the Song of Solomon until you're married. 
But some of you grew up in youth groups like that, that misinterpreted 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible college that my wife and I went to many years ago had the no-touch rule. And so my wife and I were dating at the time. We could not hold hands, no side hugs. I could not even do that to my wife. If you're off campus at that certain Bible college, you were not allowed to even speak to a member of the opposite sex of a person who went to the same Bible college you went to. And if you went to the theater, man, you're going to hell, right? <laughs> now, guess what? An institution's legalistic man-made rules will not stop kids from going off campus and doing all sorts of ungodly things. Do you know why? Because a list of man-made rules will not give you the power to overcome the appetites of your flesh. But when you have someone who knows and loves Jesus, who's walking in an authentic relationship with the Lord, who is filled, as Pastor Will talked about earlier, with the power of the Holy Spirit, then that young man and that young woman has a supernatural power to overcome the appetites of the flesh. So emphasize a relationship with Jesus as opposed to a bunch of man-made rules. Parents, if you want to help your kids stay pure until their wedding day, it's fine to set some dating guidelines with them. We did that with all, all of our daughters. That's fine. That's good, right? You're the parent. You should do that. But don't just stop there. Parents, here, here's what I want to encourage you. Real quick side note, okay? If you have a teenager and you really want that, that person to make it to their marriage day um, as a virgin, and by the way, that rarely happens in our culture today. And by the way, if every, most of the people that lived in our area heard me saying that, they would laugh me to scorn. Be a virgin until your wedding day? What's wrong with you, right? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just teaching God's word. And so parents, if you want your kid to make it to their wedding day pure, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Sure, have some guidelines, but don't emphasize that as the main thing. Number one, have as much as you can develop a close relationship with your teenager. Even if it's hard, even if it's awkward, even if they don't want to talk, man, get in there, be involved. Some of you, the Lord's speaking to you right now because you're working 60, 70 hours a week and you're not involved in your home life and you're not involved in the lives of your kids and it's got to stop today. You've got, mom, dad, you've got to be involved in their lives you got to be talking to them. you got to stop having dinner around the television set. Turn the TV off and go into that room that, that, that most people don't even go into anymore. You know the one with the big table? It's called the dining room. Go in there after dinner. Get everybody together. Have dinner together. Talk to one another. Have that relationship. But then number two, emphasize with your teenager how important it is that they have a close relationship with Christ. Now, number one, why should I be so close to my teenager? Because rules without relationship equals rebellion. If you don't have a relationship with them and you give them all these rules, psh, forget you, mom and dad. But then secondly, make sure you emphasize a relationship with Christ. Here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. My wife and I did that, this before our kids were born. We prayed to the Lord, Lord, reveal yourself to our daughters in a real way. Now, let me tell you something. When a young man or young woman is baptized with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit reveals himself to your young person, when that 
Holy Spirit moves in their hearts and, and becomes real and sheds the love of God abroad in their heart. Man, that teenager knows that God is real. It's not you giving them a bunch of man-made rules. It's the Lord living inside of them. Are they going to be perfect? No, they're not going to be perfect. But they'll have a much better shot of obeying the Lord because they have that supernatural power within them. And then the third thing I want to encourage you is moms and dads model a close relationship with the Lord in the home. How many of you guys know teenagers can smell hypocrisy a mile away? And they know, moms and dads, if you're not living for the Lord. And so here's what you should do. Stop talking about it so much and start walking it. Let them see the fruit of the Spirit in the home. Let them see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control in the home. Don't always be talking about it. Don't always be preaching about it. No, zip that up. You can share when the time is right every once in a while, but just have a close relationship with the Lord and then live and let your kids see that. And you know what? They'll know, hey, this is real because the Lord is in my heart. He's moving. I see him in mom's heart. I see him in dad's heart. And now, does this guarantee they're going to make it to their wedding day a virgin? Doesn't guarantee it at all. But it certainly will increase the chances and a lot better than you giving them a bunch of man-made rules. Amen? So, chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to have sex with a woman. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, and by the way, you know if you've been here for the last three weeks, that's pornea in the Greek. It's speaking of any sexual relationships outside of marriage. So verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. In other words, to avoid sexual immorality, get married. Let God bring that special person to you. Don't rush it. Don't try to make it happen on your own. Focus on the Lord first. Follow him and then let God do what he does as he brought Eve to Adam. He'll bring your Eve to you. He'll bring your Adam, ladies, to you. But you know what the problem is in our culture today? Most single men, they have this attitude. Well, you know what? Um, we're going to live together first before we get married to make sure we're compatible with one another. You know, what's wrong, Pastor Mike, with taking a car out for a, a test drive before you buy it? You know what's wrong with it? She's not a car. She's a daughter of the living God. God is her father. You're going to have to answer to him. Right? And if you really loved her, if you really cared for her, then why in the world would you jeopardize her relationship with the Lord by taking her to bed? No, the problem is you don't have any character. Because if you really loved her, you would guard her relationship with the Lord and you would make sure that you and her are pure and then you can consummate the marriage on your wedding day. You say, that's old, so old-fashioned. 
I was watching a TV program um, yesterday. It was infuriating because it's one of my favorite TV programs and one of the guys that I really like in this TV program. And you know what he said? He said uh, on the gay issue, he said the gay marriage issue, he said the church is so behind the times on this. This is so old-fashioned. You know, that's Hollywood's way to get their agenda across to the masses. Well, guess what? It's not old-fashioned. It's God's word. He knows what's best for us. Now, if you want to go ahead and live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, fine. But you know what? You're going to harm your future marriage if you marry that person. I wasn't going to share this, but God's told me to share this with you again. I just shared it in February. Check this out on the screen. Married couples who engaged in premarital sex. Okay. You don't even have to read the Bible. Just do the research. Married couples who engaged in premarital sex, number one, are less satisfied overall with their sex life in marriage. Married couples who sleep together before the wedding day, number two, are more likely to have an affair in the marriage. Number three, they're more likely to divorce. You can read it for yourself. Just download into your Kindle, Getting Ready for Marriage by Burns and Fields. You see, God loves us. That's why he gives us these rules. You've heard me say before, if your little toddler's in the kitchen and he's getting ready to reach up and touch the hot stove burner, what are you going to do? Let him, oh, you know, judge not that you be not judged. Just do whatever you want. No. God loves you. He would spare you. Check it out what the the next uh, quote is. Uh, This is from Glenn um, Stanton. Glenn Stanton. People with cohabitating experience who marry have a 50 to 80% higher likelihood of divorcing than married couples who never cohabitated. Oh, we're just going to make sure that we're sexually compatible. That's why we're going to live together. Aren't we wise? No, you're dumb. You're dumb, right? You're foolish. What everybody's doing it. As my dad would say, who was married to my mom and set the example for 59 years of loving one woman for life, if everybody jumped off a mountain, would you follow them? It doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. Follow the Lord and his word. So let's continue with the Lord and his word. Look at verse three. He talks to to married couples here. Let the husband render to his wife the affection. Please underline the word affection. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her and likewise also the wife to the husband. Now the word affection in the context obviously includes sex, but it's not limited to sex. Because when you look up the Greek word, here's what you find out. The word affection means goodwill and kindness. And so let the husband render to his wife the goodwill and kindness that is due to her. And let the wife render to the husband the goodwill and kindness that is due to him. Martin Luther, the former Roman Catholic priest, the father of the Protestant Reformation, the one who nailed the 95 Theses on the church door there in Wittenberg. Martin Luther, who married the nun, Catherine Van Bora, had an awesome marriage. And this is what he said. 
Let the wife make the husband glad to come home. And let the husband make the wife sorry to see him leave. Love that. And I love the fact that here at Calvary Port St. Lucie, there's so many solid marriages. You saw Dan and Lynn almost 40 years. Others of you have been married longer than that. And sometimes you here in public, you can't even keep your hands off each other. You've been married for 10, 20, 30 years. And I'm thinking, go get a room, right? What? But it's beautiful. Why? Because you're married and you love each other. And it's God's plan. And it's an awesome thing. It's the way God designed it. And by the way, the couple that is affectionate, right? Goodwill, kindness. The couple that is affectionate toward each other during the day will enjoy sex so much more at the end of the day. But if you're not being affectionate towards one another during the day, what's going to happen is you're going to experience boring sex at the end of the day, if any sex at all. And so husbands, if you did not pay attention to your wife all day long, right? You didn't text her while you're at work, letting her know how much you love her. When you came home, if you didn't ask, how can I help? Can I help with dinner? Can I clean out the dishwasher? Can I finish the laundry? Can I set the table? Can I support you at all? If you didn't do that, and then you sat at dinner and you hardly said a word to your family, and then after dinner, you didn't help clean up. You went straight to your lazy boy for three hours of evening television. And then while you're sitting there on your lazy boy, you fell asleep. And then later on, 11, 11.30 at night, you wake up and you go to bed and you're laying there next to your wife and you begin to rub her back. And everybody knows what rubbing the back means if you're married. Don't be surprised if she begins to fake snoring. Why? 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 I'm being serious here. Because she doesn't want to feel used. She doesn't want to think that's the only reason he's rubbing my back. He doesn't care about helping me during the day. He doesn't care about texting me and letting me know how much he loves me during the day. He just wants to use me. There's a plaque hanging in my kitchen where I'm reminded of this every single day. My wife bought this. It says, I love hugs. I love kisses. But what I really love is help with the dishes. Right? And so I, I've been helping with the dishes for 26 years. And I really enjoy the hugs and kisses too. And wives, your husbands are totally different in this area. So if you have not spent any time with him at all during the day, you have not even talked to him, and at night you begin to rub his back, he's not going to fake snoring. He's going to do a little private fist bump, right? Because guys are different than ladies. We should both understand one another and live to serve our spouse. Look at verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What's your next principle if you're taking notes? We'll put it up on the screen. When you entered the covenant of marriage, you chose to surrender the ownership of your body to the person you married. It's right there in black and white. So husbands, when you said, I do, your wife, your body became the possession of your wife. Wives, when you said, I do, 
Your body became the possession of your husband. If you don't like that, you should have remained single. And so when you think about this, guys, don't, don't mess up here, okay? Because a lot of guys read that verse and they think, my wife's body now belongs to me. Therefore, I can demand sex whenever I want to. Yeah, that'll go over like a fart in a windstorm. <laughs> Husbands, you know, and you say, why not, right? You, 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 let's regroup. Okay, so husbands, husbands, your wife's body now belongs to you because you're married. Don't demand sex whenever you want it. You say, why not? It's right there in verse four. Well, you got to read verse three. <laughs> That's not the affectionate thing to do. It's not affectionate for you to demand sex whenever you want to have sex. Wives, just because his body now belongs to you does not give you the right, wives, to demand sex whenever you want it. Now, if you do, he'll be fine with it, okay? That's <laughs> the way he's made. But we got to be careful here, right? We got to interpret verse 4 in light of verse 3. And so what's the affectionate thing to do? This brings up the question, how often should a married couple have sex during the week? Well, that's between you and your husband. I know every couple is different, and there's lots of different answers out there. There's no one right answer. But let me give you a scenario. If the husband wants to be intimate three times a week, and the wife wants to be intimate just once a week, what's the affectionate thing to do? You guys help me out. What should you do? How many times a week? I'm glad some person said it. Two, right. You compromise. Guys, don't demand three times a week. No. It's not the affectionate thing to do. Wives, you know, don't say only once a week. That's not the affectionate thing to do, right? You're not there in the marriage for you. You're there for her. Ladies, you're not in the marriage for you. You're there for him. So you both give a little. You both compromise. What's the affectionate thing to do? You be intimate twice a week. Don't demand it. Many years ago in another church in another city, a, a lady shared with my wife how her husband, both of them are Christians, both of them serving in the church, but she's beginning to resent her husband. She's having problems. Why? Because he's demanding sex whenever he wants it. And he's trying to use the Bible to justify his position. And so he comes home from lunch and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he hasn't said boo to his wife, but he's demanding sex. She's giving in. She's becoming more resentful. Guys, don't do that. It's not the affectionate thing to do. Take her needs in mind when you make these types of decisions. On the other hand, I've heard of couples that only have sex like every three months or six months or once a year. What? <laughs> Unless there's health issues, that's not normal. Hey, is it okay? I, I kind of sense some tension and awkwardness in the church today. We're just going through verse by verse, right? Can we just be open and honest with one another in the church? If you can't be open and honest with one another in the church, man, you're going to be open and honest out there. It's better to be open and honest in here with the Lord present. And so let's just be real about this because here's, here's what happens. Couples begin to have problems in their marriage, right? And instead of dealing with it, instead of humbling themselves and dealing with it, 
They sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. Guess what? The rug's getting higher and higher between you and your spouse. And before long, you're not even going to be able to see the woman, right? And so the better thing to do is just humble yourself, take this as God's word, and instead of thinking your ideas are better than God's word, submit yourself to the authority of the Lord's word and just do what he says. And guess what? The rug will shrink and you'll be so happy in the marriage. But man, having sex once every three or four months, that's not God's will for you. You say, where do you get that from? Look at verse five. Do not deprive one another. It's right there. Except for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, have sex again. Why? So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. He says, don't deprive one another. What does the original word mean, deprive? It means to defraud. It means to rob. Okay, so don't rob one another of the gift of sex. Wives, your body doesn't belong just to you. It belongs to your husband. Husbands, your body doesn't just, just belong to you. It belongs also to your wife. And so God is saying through the apostle Paul, stop robbing each other of the gift of sex. Now, there may be times when something important happens and you need to take a break to, to fast and to pray, right? And to really got, get God's heart and maybe on a certain decision. That's fine for a certain period of time. But Paul is saying, make sure it's a short period of time. He's saying, if you want to abstain from sex in order to fast and pray, okay, verse six, I'll make that concession. But it certainly is not a commandment. I'm not commanding anybody to abstain from sex when they're married in order to fast and pray. It's a concession. It's not a commandment. And so the, the, the bottom line here in these verses is that it's important that couples do not withhold sex from one another because when they do that, they're giving the enemy an opportunity to tempt. So here's your next principle if you're taking notes. Satan will do whatever he can do to discourage you from having sex within your marriage and encourage you to have sex outside of your marriage. That's one of his plans, right? We're not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. He's got hundreds and hundreds of them. He hates you. He hates this church. He hates me. He hates what God is doing here. He hates the fact that we're teaching God's word. He's got all these schemes to bring us down, to make us impotent, weak, nominal Christians. And this is one of his plans right here. He's going to do whatever he can for there to be problems in your marriage so you guys will stop having sex. And he's going to do whatever he can to get you to have sex outside of your marriage. And guess what? People are falling every week in the Christian community, including pastors and leaders. And so... The longer you abstain from sex in your marriage, the stronger the sexual desires will be inside of you. Paul's just being very practical. He's being very honest here in verse 9. But what happens, right? What happens when you're abstaining from sex for whatever reason and sexual desires are becoming stronger inside of you? What happens? You become vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, then you got to be very, very careful. 
right? But what do couples do when there's problems in a marriage? Don't touch me. (laughs) What do couples do when they're both working and they're so tired at the end of the day? I'm too tired. Don't touch me. What do couples do when they got little kids and the little kids got to sleep in mommy and daddy's bed? They stop having sex. By the way, my wife and I made a rule from day one when we were married 26 plus years ago that our kids would never, ever, ever sleep in our beds. And guess what? 26 and a half years later, they never, ever, ever slept in our bed, not even once. Why? Because my wife and I understand that the relationship her and I have is top priority over the relationship we have with our kids. You know why? Kids leave the home eventually. Your husband and wife aren't supposed to. So don't let anything come between you in this area. Wives, put your seatbelts on, but I got to be honest with you this morning, okay? Wives, if you are not being intimate with your husband, don't be surprised if he begins to fall for the woman at work who does pay attention to him. You say, well, that's sinful. Yeah, it's sinful, but it probably could have been avoided if you would have made intimacy a priority in your marriage. And husbands, don't be surprised if you withhold affection. I'm not talking about the physical act of sex here. I'm talking about affection, support, love, encouragement. If you become bitter and angry and you don't even talk to your spouse, hey, don't be surprised if she starts to fall for the guy at work who does pay attention to her. Well, that's sinful. Yeah, you're right. But it probably could have been avoided if you would have made affection a priority in your marriage. And so don't allow Satan to tempt you. Keep the home fires burning. That's what makes the enemy mad when he sees a married couple that love each other so much. And they're having regular intimacy within their marriage. You know why? Because that is a beautiful picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so, man, this week was a crazy week here for everybody on staff here at Calvary. We put in a ton of hours, right? Friday's usually my day off. I did work in ministry for 12 plus hours, my wife too, on, on, on Friday. It was just all day, all night. Hey, it's ministry, it's what you do. Friday's usually our date day. It's time my wife and I connect. Didn't happen on Friday. So you know what we did? We could have said, I'll oh, just wait till next week. No. We've learned better. And so what we did is we carved out a big portion of our day on Saturday just to connect. And man, we went out for an early dinner at Olive Garden. (laughs) Oh, right? Uh, Tour of Italy. Right, it's amazing. We went went, went home, watched one of our favorite shows together. Then we played cards, five crowns. I beat her. It was awesome. (laughs) We just had a wonderful time connecting. We had our date on Saturday because Friday. Why? Because our marriage is a priority. And that's why after 26 plus years, we're more in love with each other than we've ever been before. Right? Because we're following God's word. We're following God's word. Look at verse 7. He says in verse 7, for I wish that all men were even as I am myself. Okay, so Paul was single. Some people think that his wife left him when he became a Christian, maybe. Other people think um, that he was a widower, maybe. Okay, so whatever 
the truth is, we don't know for sure, but he's single when he writes this. He says, for I wish that all men were even as myself. I wish all guys were single, right? Because there's advantages of being single. You can serve the Lord wholeheartedly, right? But Paul understood, understood what's up. He said in the rest of the verse, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Okay, so we understand, Paul, Paul understood that marriage is a gift from God if you're called to be married. Singleness is a gift from God if you're called to be single. Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, single. But Paul knew what was up. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Talk about being brutally honest. The word marry there in verse 9 is in the aorist tense. In other words, it's once for all. And the word burn there in verse 9 is in the present tense. It means to have strong sexual desires, ongoing so here's the literal rendering of verse 9. It is better to be married for life than to continually have strong sexual desires. Brutally honest, intensely practical for the church. The Apostle Paul knew that marriage is God's only, please everybody say only, okay? Marriage is God's only way to relieve the sexual desires that we have inside of us. You might say, Pastor Mike, I have these sexual desires inside of me. Does that mean I'm sinful? No, it means you're alive. Okay? So if, you have, if you're single and you have strong sexual desires, that's a pretty good hint from God that you're not called to be single, you're called to be married. But once again, it's better to be married to the right one for a short time than a, the wrong one for a long time. So wait on the Lord to bring you that special someone. And then enjoy intimacy for the rest of your life with that special someone. Verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart or separate from her husband. Okay, ladies, if you're here in the room, please say amen here. Don't leave him. Some of you are thinking about leaving him. That's why you came to church today. So you can hear God say, don't leave him. Now, clarification. If he's using you as a punching bag, leave him. Okay? The first call is not to the church. It's not to Pastor Bob. The first call is 911. Then call the church and we'll help you. God has not called any woman to remain in a marriage where the guy is beating on her. Okay? It's just... It's so obvious that they didn't even need to put it in the Bible. Okay, but outside of that, ladies, a wife is not to depart from her husband, verse 11, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So Paul said there in verse 10, this is not I but the Lord that's giving this command. He's saying that simply because Jesus already spoke on this issue of Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Okay, so look at what Jesus said. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits what? 
Wow. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits what? Adultery. Now that's the word of the Lord, Jesus Christ. By the way, it's the red letters. And by the way, what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 7 is just as inspired as the red letters. It's all God's word. But Jesus made it really, really clear. And some of you are thinking right now, why does Jesus say it's adultery when I'm divorced? I'm divorced. So I got remarried. <laughs> I'm divorced. Why, why does he say it's adultery? Because even though you were divorced in the state's eyes, you weren't divorced in God's eyes. Right? The state of Florida may say, you're divorced. God's not saying that. So I don't care if you got paper in your hand or not. You're still married in God's eyes. So when you go and remarry, Jesus said it, you've committed adultery. Now, I personally believe, scholars disagree with me, okay? You got to come between you and the Lord. I'm not, I don't think it's, you know, that second marriage is adultery for the rest of your life. I don't personally believe that. I think God is a loving and merciful God. I think the first night is adultery because Jesus said it. And by the way, don't send me emails this week. Send Jesus some emails, okay? <laughs> He's saying it. But it's adultery because you're still married in God's eyes. There's only three ways the bond of marriage can be broken. You know, the, you know what the problem is? Is, is we enter into the marriage covenant unadvised. Forget pre-marriage counseling. I've been married three times. I don't need to sit down with Pastor Bob for six weeks. I've been married three, four times. I know more than he does. Is that why you've been married three or four times? Everybody needs six sessions of pre-marriage counseling before you can be married here by a pastor. And by the way, please don't call the church and say, hey, we're getting married on October, uh, whatever, 6th, Saturday, October 6th. And so uh, mark it down. We're going to want to use the church. Well, you might get married here. We're not guaranteeing anything. We have the right to refuse to, re to, to not marry anybody. And if we go through a couple pre-marriage sessions and red flags are coming up, we could say, You're not, we're not going to marry you. We have that right as your pastor's. Because we want to do it God's way, right? And so don't enter into this thing unadvisedly, but with fear and with trembling. Why? Because Jesus said it's for life. It's for life. There's only three things that can break the marriage bond. The first thing is the death of a spouse. And so tragically, I'm so sorry if this happened in your life, but if your spouse passed away, so sorry. When the time is right, if God leads you to, you're free to remarry in the Lord. If you're in a marriage and your spouse cheats on you, Jesus said it, I didn't. You are free to divorce your spouse and remarry in the Lord. Now, before you do, I encourage you to read the Old Testament book of Hosea. Make sure it's right between you and the Lord, right? Because God called Hosea to take her back after she cheated on him over and over. But that's that's a description, not a prescription, okay? There's the prescription right there. So if your wife cheats on you, if your husband cheats on you, you're free to divorce that person and remarry in the Lord. If your unbelieving, we're gonna get to this in a second and we'll be done. If your unbelieving spouse says, you're a Christian, Psh, forget you, I'm out of here. And they leave, let them leave. You're free to remarry when the divorce is final, don't go living 
with another guy before your divorce is final. What are you doing? Don't even go live with him after your divorce is final. Make sure you're married first. And so those are the only three things in God's word that constitutes the breakup of the bond of marriage. And if you, if you divorce and remarry for any other reason, Jesus said it's adultery. Now, I know some of you right now are a little worried and you're thinking, Pastor Mike, but what if I divorced my spouse for an unbiblical reason? It wasn't those reasons. And then I already remarried. Should I divorce my current spouse and go back to my ex? <laughs> right, we get these questions. Here's the answer. No, 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 no. Why do you say no? Because how many of you guys know God's a loving, forgiving, merciful God? Right? He is. He'll absolutely wash away all your sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. Stay in that marriage that you're in and love that spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at verse 12. But to the rest, now this is very interesting here. Look at verse 12. If you're looking at verse 12, can you say amen here? All right, look at this. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say... And so people say, look, it's not inspired. What Paul is saying, it's not the Lord saying, it's just him. It's not inspired. No, actually, he's going to talk about mixed marriages where one person's a believer and the other person is not. And it's simply a subject that Jesus never talked about. And so Paul is saying that I'm going to talk about it here because the Lord never talked about it. And yes, it's absolutely inspired because Paul was an apostle. It's God's word right here. Verse 12, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, and if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So what happens so often in the church is that someone comes to church, they hear the gospel, they give their life to Christ, right? The Holy Spirit comes in and they're changed and they come home, Right? And their, their husband or wife wasn't at church. One's saved, the other's not. Sometimes we see the other one come to the Lord, but often the other one does not. And they're looking at their believing spouse like, like that person's got two or three heads. What have you done? What is all this Jesus stuff? Are you some kind of religious fanatic now or what? Now, someone might say, Pastor Mike, they don't believe. They won't even come to church. And there's so many beautiful women at the church. It'd be so much easier if I just divorced my unbelieving spouse, right? It, could, it, it might be easy, but it's not right. If they're willing to stay with you. Now, they may say, you're a jerk, I'm out of here. Paul says, let them go. But if they're willing to stay in the marriage, absolutely stay in the marriage. Why? Because he says now in verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. He's not saying that person's going to automatically be saved. What he's saying there is that this unbelieving spouse is set apart for a special ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it like, like a glass of water, right? You're pouring the water into the glass and it's overflowing now. Okay, so you're saved and the Lord is just pouring his blessings and protection on you and on your home and it's spilling over to your unbelieving spouse, to your kids who don't know the Lord yet. It's spilling over. 
And so verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they're, they are holy. So even the kids have been set apart for a special work of the Holy Spirit as he blesses you and protects you and blesses your home. But, verse 15, if the unbeliever departs, please say the next three words out loud. Go ahead. That's in the um, imperative tense in the Greek. It's a command right there. If the unbeliever departs, here's a command of God. Let him go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. He wants peace in your homes. For how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Maybe eventually they'll come around. Maybe they won't. We don't know. How do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? Maybe they'll come around. We don't know. But man, if, if, if God has set them apart for a special calling and ministry and work, then if they're willing to stay, stay there. You may see God do an absolute miracle. As the worship team comes up, do you guys love God's word? Do you love it even when it doesn't taste that good? Right? Because here's, here's what I could do every Sunday morning. I could join the group, the growing group of pastors in America where like, let's say your children, where I just continue to give you candy every Sunday morning. Here's some candy, here's some more candy, here's some more candy. Oh, isn't it great to be in church? Woo, this tastes so good. I could join that growing group of pastors in America that just give out a bunch of candy. Or I could be faithful to the scriptures and some Sundays I'll give you candy, but some Sundays I'm gonna give you medicine right? I'm going to give you medicine. Now, how many of you guys have heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? I can't make you drink it. I can just offer it to you. I hope you'll drink it. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.